Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. We're continuing our series called The Way of the Kingdom, and we are looking at Matthew chapter 13. And over the next few weeks, we started last week, over the next few weeks, we're just going to go through Matthew 13, and we're going to look at the parables of the kingdom. Now, this is an, an exhaustive list, but it's parables of the kingdom, the kingdom parables, as it were, a list of parables that Jesus uses to teach his hearers something about how the kingdom of God operates. How does the kingdom of heaven operate? And if we are kingdom citizens, which biblically speaking we are, if we are followers of Christ, then we need to know how do things work in this kingdom? Because the way that things work in the kingdom of God are qualitatively different than the way things work in an earthly kingdom. There may be some similarities, But God as our king, he runs his kingdom in his own way, in a perfect way, and we need to understand that. And Jesus begins in Matthew 13, even though we've skipped ahead a little bit last week and looked at some other parts of it, about why Jesus spoke in parables, and we find that one reason he spoke in parables was to reveal that truth to people who had spiritual ears and to conceal it from those who would not hear. And then we find, if we go all the way back to the beginning of Matthew 13, we find that Jesus begins this passage with a parable. Matthew 13, starting in verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And then we have in verse 9, he who has ears, let him hear. He who is able to understand and discern spiritually, they'll get it. And then we're going to look over the next few verses, we're going to skip down to verse 18 in just a moment, and we'll pick up with the explanation of of this particular parable. We need to understand when we approach parables that parables, we need to understand what they are and what parables are not. Parables are a short or are short illustrations that convey a single spiritual truth. That's the idea of a parable. Now, probably there are two forms of literature in the Bible that are the the most misinterpreted and the most mistreated. One is parables. The other would be prophecy. Between parables and prophecy, people have, have done, said all sorts of things that parables say that they don't say. And they've applied prophecy in all sorts of ways that you should never apply prophecy. 
And I've heard otherwise seemingly intelligent people, uh, very brilliant people in so many other disciplines. And then you look at how they interpret God's word and they say they're Christians and I believe many of them are, but the way that they interpret God's word, they would, I'm just going to say, they would fail the first unit of basic biblical interpretation if they were taking a class on it. They would fail it miserably. Because there are certain ways you interpret parables, certain ways you interpret prophecy, and it's not open to, well, it's just however I feel. We have to understand that a parable is conveying a central truth. That means that you don't take a parable and pick it apart. Now, granted, Jesus gives an explanation, and he explains what each one of these means. But I'll tell you what we do sometimes. Sometimes we make parables into allegories. An allegory is, think of Pilgrim's Progress, the book by John Bunyan. It is an extended allegory. Every single thing points to something else. The road means this. The path means this. This person means this. This person means that. And sometimes people take parables and they want to do the same thing. I I read someone try to interpret the parable of the Good Samaritan. And they said, the Samaritan is this, and the priest is this, and the road is this, and the robbers are this, and this is that. That's not what it says. It's a central truth that we are trying to understand. The central truth of this parable today, the parable of the sower, is the reception of the word. That's the basic idea. So we we don't try to allegorize a parable. We also don't try to find the moral of a parable. I was in a class one time many years ago and someone said, and the moral of the story is, well, no, we don't find a moral. That's, that's not what we're looking for. This isn't Aesop's fables. We're not looking for a moral. We are looking for the transformative power of God's word. That's not a moral. We're not seeking to be, to, to promote moralism. We are talking about transformation. Now, are morals a good thing to have? Um, you know, the appropriate moral response to something? Yes. But when we're talking, looking for that, that basic little lesson, that basic little pithy moral statement, here's the moral of the story. We don't look for the moral of the story when we're reading God's word. We look for what is the eternal truth from God's word. And so we, we need to treat, we need to treat parables in the right way. So the disciples talk to Jesus about the meaning of these parables. And Jesus takes this particular parable and he explains in detail what each part of that parable means. doesn't mean that he's making it into an allegory. He's just explaining what the central meaning is. And the central meaning is the response to the word. And so the question is, how do you respond? How do we respond to the word of God when we hear it? Jesus says there are four basic responses, and he unpacks those later on in this passage. So let's look at verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. The first response Jesus talks about is immediate rejection. There's immediate rejection of the word of God. The sower goes out to sow. The sower sows the seed. The seed lands along the path, the hard-packed path where it's well-traveled. And Satan comes and snatches that truth away. 
it doesn't have an opportunity to take root. For someone who rejects the word of God, the Bible says that even what he has will be taken whenever you reject the word of God. How many times have you have you talked to someone about the word of God? How many times have you shared the gospel with someone? How many times have you sat and you have, maybe you yourself have read the word of God and you've decided, no, I'm just not going to do that. That's too difficult. I don't like what that says. And there's this immediate rejection of the word of God. We can't afford to do that. But Jesus says that is how many respond. We find that among the people during this time, they had rejected God's word, rejected the teaching of Jesus, rejected the person of Jesus again and again. And Jesus begins to speak more and more in parables. Jesus begins to conceal more and more of that truth from these people who are rejecting his word. There's immediate rejection. I will be honest. I found as a pastor, I experience rejection of God's word from people far more than there is a reception of God's word. Far more do people reject God's word. People don't want the word of God. The word of God holds us to a standard. And people don't like that. And the problem is we can do that ourselves. We can immediately reject the word of God if we are not careful. Listen to what James writes. James chapter 1 verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but the doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James writes that if we go to God's word and God's word reveals our true condition and we do not respond, it's as though we are looking in a mirror and it's showing us something of ourselves, and then we walk away and immediately we forget what we saw in the mirror. You looked in a mirror this morning, probably when you were getting ready. You looked in a mirror and you saw maybe some of your hair was out of place or, or, or maybe you needed to apply some makeup or maybe you, need to, maybe you need to do this or brush your teeth or straighten your tie or whatever. But to look into the word of God, it's as though the word of God says, this is who you are. This is what is going on in your heart and in your mind. And if we do not receive that, immediately we reject it. We walk away. I can't tell you the number of times I've experienced that in my own life, talking to people. And you say, here's, here's what the word of God says. And someone will say, well, yeah, I know. I know I should do better. I know I should try harder. But you know, we're all just sinners in need of a savior. Pray for me, pastor. Basically, that person has just said, I've heard the word of God. I've heard the truth of the word of God. And I've decided I'm not going to do anything about it. Do you know what happens then? They get harder. They reject the word of God and Satan pulls even what they had away, snatches it away from the side of the path whenever we immediately reject the word of God. Listen to the words of Jesus. This is in Luke 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Wow, what a strong statement there. Jesus is saying, why, why are you people calling me Lord? Why are you calling me Master? Why are you calling me the one who rules over all things, but you don't know what, you, what I'm saying? How many times in my own life can I look back and I can say, Lord Jesus, yet at the same time, I don't want to do what he says. I want to do what I want to do. 
I want to operate from a place of self-promotion or self-preservation or self-love instead of surrendering to the word of God. So we cannot have, we cannot operate from a place of rejecting the word of God. The word of God is to be received. And by the way, let me tell you a refrain that we find in here, although not verbatim in this way, let me tell you a truth we find throughout here. The problem is never with the seed. The problem is always with the soil. It's always a soil problem. When it comes to the word of God, it's always a soil problem. We don't change the word of God. We don't tweak the word of God. We don't try to make the word of God more palatable. We don't try to make the word of God. We don't try to twist it. We don't try to add enough of this or take out enough of that so that people will actually receive it. We don't find that. The sower just goes out and sows. And the problem is not with the seed. The problem is always with the soil. The problem isn't anything at all wrong genetically with the seed. It's not that the seed won't grow. It's not that the seed is too old. It's not that the seed is diseased. It doesn't have any, there's no problem with the seed when it comes to the word of God. The problem is always with the soil. It's always a soil problem. And so many times I've talked to pastors, I've talked to ministry leaders and they're like, well, yeah, if we, but if we just play down this whole idea of Jesus, or if we just add this, or if we just approach it in this way and understand it through this lens instead of that lens, then it'll be more acceptable. It's not what you find Jesus saying. Jesus doesn't say, we well, got to guard against the birds, people, so let's come up with a plan to deal with the birds. No, he just sows the seed. The sower sows the seed. The first response is immediate rejection. The second response is short-lived emotionalism. Look at verse 21. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This is someone who's operating from a place of short-lived emotionalism. They hear the word of God. They get excited about the word of God. There's enthusiasm. But as soon as things get hard, and can we make this promise? They will get hard. When you're a follower of Christ, things do get hard. They do. Things become difficult. And when things become difficult on account of the word, this person falls. This person falls away. This person steps back because this person was operating from a place of short-lived emotionalism. Emotion is not a bad thing. Emotion, that's a gift from God. However, emotion is not intended to rule our lives. So many times we get our lives all wrapped up in how we feel. I mentioned this past week to a group. Uh, on Wednesday night, we were talking about this. And I may have mentioned this on Sunday mornings before. I remember whenever I was teaching uh, some middle schoolers, whenever I was, I was their pastor uh, up at the last church. And I remember I said something along the lines of, this is what the word of God says. And if the word of God says this and I feel something else, I must go by what the word of God says. And this one little girl raised her hand and she said, that would make me a hypocrite. And I said, what would make you a hypocrite? And she said, if I did not 
respond in a sincere way to how I felt about something, I'm a hypocrite. I have to be true to my feelings because if I am untrue to my feelings, I'm living as a hypocrite and I don't want to live as a hypocrite. I said, well, you're not living as a hypocrite. You're living as a hypocrite if you hear the word of God and you choose to willingly do something else. She said, no, 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 no. I have to go by my feelings. For her, feelings, that was the standard. How she felt overruled the eternal truth of God's word. And if we aren't careful, we can get into that. I've heard people talk to me about interpreting the Bible in certain ways. And they will say something like, well, I hear what it says. I'm reading what it says, but I just don't feel that's right. Nobody ask you. Nobody ask me. God doesn't stop and say, okay, let me, Dustin, how do you feel about that? Do you feel that's true? Because if you don't, that's okay. No, it doesn't matter. Feelings come at the end. If they come, that's great. But they're not necessary. But this short-lived emotionalism, Jesus says these people who receive the word, they receive it with joy. They get excited. And then with time and trials and tribulations and the difficulties, when they arise because of the word, because that person is saying, I'm following Christ, then they fall away. They have no root. They wither. Listen to Proverbs 28, 26. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. If we trust in our own understanding, if we trust our own wisdom, if we trust our own feelings, if we set that above the word of God, then we're operating from a foolish perspective. We can't operate with short-lived emotionalism. We must operate from the word of God from the truth of the word of God. And can I go ahead and say that necessitates that we know the word of God. That means we need to stay in the word of God. We're, we, need to, we need to govern our lives by the word of God and always go back, what does God's word say? Because hard times will come on account of us following Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is making some very clear statements here. If you are following Christ, you'll face persecution. You'll face difficulty. You will face, let me tell you, can I tell you the predominant way we experience that right now in our culture? Ridicule. Ridicule. It may not be that we're placed in prison. Some people are around the world. It may not be that, we're, that, that we lose our jobs necessarily, but I can tell you what happens. Ridicule. That is the number one thing. Ridicule. Ridicule online. Ridicule of the things of God a downplaying of the importance of the word of God. And by the way, God's word has always been under attack. Just look back to the garden and the first recorded words we have of Satan. Did God really say? Satan's still using that lie. Did God really say? Can you really trust the word of God? Yes. Can, can, I, can, I, give you, can I give you an argument from the negative if Satan 
says anything definitively, your your safest bet is to pursue the opposite. So if Satan is saying, did God really say? We should be able to say, based on that evidence alone, yes, he did. Because if Satan is calling God a liar, then we need to trust what the Word of God says. Because Satan is going to tear down the Word of God, he's going to ridicule the Word of God, he's going to undermine the Word of God, and he's playing the long game. It may not just be some outright thing. It can be very, very, very subtle. And Satan will start casting a little doubt here and a little doubt there and saying, well, you know, you can take God's word and you can pair it with this. And it'll, it'll be more understandable and it'll be more acceptable. And, and, and don't, you know, it'll even make you happier. If you downplay, downplay the whole sacrifice of Christ part, downplay the whole idea that we're sinners in need of a savior, downplay, downplay judgment, downplay all these, you know, we, we ought to talk about those. Let's just, let's just talk about God as love. Let's just focus on that. That's all we really need. And we act as though, and you've heard me say, we act as though that Satan's predominant ideology or his predominant approach is he wants us to hate God. He's not going to work overtime to get us to hate God when he can just encourage us to love something as much as or more than God. It's not a matter of just hating God. It's a matter of getting our focus on something else and getting emotional about something. And I'm not saying emotions are bad things, but I am saying that when we govern our lives by emotions, we're going to run into problems, especially whenever hard times come because we won't be able to make sense of them. Matthew 10, you will be hated by all for my namesake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures all the difficulty, the one who endures the hardship. Notice he says that the seed, whenever it it pops up, that person has received it with joy, but they have no root in and of themselves. They don't endure because they're not founded. They're not rooted. They're not grounded. And when the sun comes, they wither. So there's this half or this short-lived emotionalism that takes place. Are, are you governed, are, is your life governed more by the word of God or more by emotions? Emotions, they can be a great gift when they're in the right place, when they're governed by the word of God. But if we approach God's word and we say, I feel that God must be this, therefore his word must say that, we've got the cart before the horse. We must be able to go to God's word and say, I believe God's word. And so therefore, if I am feeling something that runs contrary to this, then my feelings need to be brought in line with the word of God. I don't bring God's word in line with my feelings. We cannot afford to operate and approach God's word with short-lived emotionalism. But then he says, there's half-hearted devotion. Look at verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. There's this half-hearted devotion, a love of the word, a love of the world, and trying to make those two operate together. They don't operate together. Half-hearted devotion will lead to a wholehearted rejection. That's what it will lead to. You can't have some half-hearted devotion to the Word of God. In um, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, Paul writes about one of his companions, Demas. 
For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. He left this missionary journey, walked away from Paul. And Paul says the reason is he loved the world. He had this half-hearted devotion. He's trying to live in between. And ultimately, he loved the world and departed from this endeavor, this spiritual endeavor. Because the cares of the world will choke out the word of God if we aren't careful. Notice this. You've got soil that's by the path that doesn't produce a germinating seed because the birds come and snatch it away. You've got soil that is rocky and that doesn't produce a root. But you've got this soil and it must be pretty fertile because it's growing thorns. Now, I know thorns can grow in all sorts of really poor soil, but the idea is that that soil is already occupied. It's already occupied with these these potential for thorns that grow up and choke out the word of God. Again, it's never a seed problem. It's always a soil problem. And so with this soil, you find that the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, all the promises that the world is offering because of material wealth, choke out the word of God. Listen to Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus says that it's not about material wealth. It's not about the things that you have. God knows that you need those things. God will supply your need. God will supply what is needed. But he says you cannot serve both of them. You can't serve the thorns and at the same time serve the seed. You can't serve them both at the same time. Because the thorns will choke out the seed of the word of God. And this is the problem with the world. The world does not want the word of God. The world does not want the cross. The world does not want to be told, you're sinners in need of a savior. The world doesn't want that. The world wants all the perks of heaven, but they don't want any of the sacrifices. They want all of the the riches of heaven, but they don't want the understanding of the reality of of the only way into the kingdom, and that is by the word of God, that is by the gospel of the kingdom. Listen to what John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This half-hearted devotion, this this approach to God's word that says, I'm going to take the best of what the world has to offer, and I'm going to take the best of what God has to offer, and I'm going to try to put those together, and I'm going to try to live in this middle place. I'm going to try to live in this half-hearted place. There was a guy that I taught one time many years ago whenever I was teaching school. I remember we had a devotional time in the morning, and I remember he said, I sure hope that Jesus doesn't come back until I am an old man and I have lived my life and lived it as fully as I want to live it. And I said, do you realize the riches of heaven, 
the splendor of his kingdom will greatly outweigh anything that the world has to offer? And you always response to me, yeah, maybe, but I want to try. Yeah, maybe, but I want to try. Yeah, maybe that's true, but I sure want to try. I want to try to get as much out of the world as I possibly can. And then, and then I'll be okay after I've tried. Well, there was a really, really wise man, wisest man in the world named Solomon who tried that and came to the end of it and realized, you know what? None of it matters. None of it matters. It, it, all that matters is following God. All that matters is a life with God. doesn't matter. All this other stuff, it doesn't matter. That's what the whole point of Ecclesiastes. And yet, we still think of ourselves as wiser than Solomon. And oh, well, no, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to be able to do it right this time. I'm going to be able. He just didn't look in the right place. He had everything at his disposal. And he says, ultimately, it wasn't enough. It wasn't anything compared it wasn't anything compared to what God was offering. We can't afford to live with half-hearted devotion to God. No. Because we, we, should, we should, I honestly believe that one of the problems, one of the problems that we have, and, and I'm talking about me, and God's really been doing me lately about this. I've just really been praying. One of the problems that I think that we have in Christianity is that we don't take the idea of living for the cross far enough. We leave it at salvation or we say, yeah, it informs me. And yeah, I don't have to worry about, you know, I'm, I'm going to be saved. I, I have hope. And Instead of looking at taking up our cross daily and literally saying, I have to remove myself from the center of it. And Christ on the throne, Christ on the cross is the central focus of my life. Therefore, everything in my life takes backseat to that. That means not just, we, sometimes we say, well, we need to self-sacrifice. We, we need to deny ourselves. We need to deny that sinful part of ourselves. Yes, but can I tell you what that also includes? Our own preferences, our own ambitions, our own desires, our own feelings. All that must be sacrificed. When Jesus says that the one who follows after me must forsake all that he has, that means all. That means not just, well, here's a sinful thought. I need to be able to put even the good things, the things that culture, the things that, that, that church culture may say, these are good things. I need to be able to put all of those into second, third, fourth, way on down the list place, all for the sake of the cross, to know him. And to live a crucified life. That's not half-hearted devotion. That is, that is full surrender to Christ. There's a final response to the word. And it's the fertile soil. Notice what he says. It's a fruitful reception. Look at verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed, he indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. There's even differences in how fruitful someone is. They all hear the same word. They all receive the same seed. It's a matter of how do they respond to it. Are, are you a hundredfold, a sixty, or a thirty? It's, it's, it's all based on how you receive the word. There's a fruitful reception. When you receive the word of God, it bears fruit in your life when you hear it and you understand it. 
The idea is if you don't fully understand it, you don't bear as much fruit. That's why it's so important to interpret the God, God's word in the right way. Because if you understand it the wrong way, you're not going to be as fruitful. So we need to understand the word of God and we need to receive God's word and allow him to work that fruit in us. Listen to Luke chapter 8 verse 15. This is Jesus explaining that parable of the sower in a little different way. Look at verse 15 of Luke 8. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. They hold the word of God fast. They cling to the word of God. There's a fruitful reception and they bear fruit with patience. It takes time. It takes time for God's word to bear fruit. That's why it's, it's so amazing to me. So many times we, we watch churches or we watch organizations and they depart from the word of God and there's some sort of result. Maybe it's an emotional response or maybe it's this response and they start downplaying the word of God and then they will say, but this works. Look at the results. That's a short term result. You have to look at what's the fruit going to be in a decade. What will the fruit be 20 years from now? What kind of fruit will be born out over time? It's not a matter of what goes on right there in the moment. I mean, you may be growing ornamentals and they may look great, but they may not produce fruit. You have to look to the fruit. And you've heard me say so many times that the the fruit is the proof of the root. The fact that you have fruit, the fruit that is to righteousness, the fruit that the word of God says, that is proof that the word of God took root and did something. And so we look to that reception of the word of God and we must receive it willingly, gladly. Listen to Colossians chapter one, verse three. Paul writes, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this, you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. They hear the word of God, they receive the word of God and they bear fruit and that fruit increases. Later on in Colossians 1 verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. How does that happen? How do you increase in the knowledge of God? By the word of God. What bears fruit in our lives? The word of God. The seed of the sower. We have to receive it. And we have this fruitful reception. It's always, always, always a soil problem. It's never a problem with the seed. So many times people say, well, when we approach the word of God, if if only we made it more palatable, if only we didn't emphasize certain things. If we didn't talk about sin, or we didn't talk about the blood, or we didn't talk about the cross, we didn't talk about judgment on sin we didn't talk about all these difficult things if we just if we just talked about how how god is love and if we just talked about grace alone can i just tell you love and grace don't mean anything if you don't have an understanding of the seriousness of our condition because of our sin 
when we understand the seriousness of our condition, that we are separated from a holy God, then love and grace take on a brand new meaning. Because if we think we deserve love, if we think we deserve grace, can I just tell you, that's not love. Can I tell you, that's not grace. The whole idea is that it's unmerited. The whole idea is that we don't deserve it. The whole idea is it's just by the grace of God that there is any sort of seed that is even thrown in our direction. That's the grace of the word of God. And we are to receive it gladly. We are to receive it willingly. The problem is not the difficulty of the word of God. The problem is the darkness of the human heart. That's the problem. The problem is always a soil problem. Always. It's a soil problem. Always. 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 At, I, was, I was preaching one time at a revival. And I had a guy come up to me afterwards. I, I was, it was a kind of a Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night kind of revival thing. And a guy came up to me after that Sunday morning service, older gentleman, and he said, son, there's one thing that I've learned about God's word. You, you have to ease people into it. And I think you're real passionate about it, but you know, I, I just think you may have turned off some people because you were just so adamant about this is the truth of the word of God. And you didn't even, you didn't even give any sort of leeway for someone to maybe have a vastly different interpretation. And that may have turned off some people who aren't followers of Christ yet. And all I could think about was what an old preacher said one time. He said, if you, if you took some poison and labeled it medicine, it would not change the deadly nature of the poison that was in that bottle. But you would actually make it more deadly to those who would read it because they would assume that it was safe. Can I just tell you, there is nothing about the word of God if, that is safe for someone who wants to live in sin. There's nothing about it. God's word confronts us. God word, God's word gets into our space. God word, God's word calls us out. God's word, according to James, holds that mirror up to reality and says, this is who you are. But the beautiful thing about God's word is God's word says, and this is who you need. And it's available. He's available. He is there. He is, he is accessible. If you will receive the word of God. We baptized Fisher this morning. He sat in my office uh, a few days ago. And I asked him. I said, tell me about when you came to Jesus. And I mentioned from the baptistry. He said, it was a Sunday morning a few weeks ago. He said, you were preaching and it was in the middle of the sermon. And I realized that's what I need. I need Jesus. Do you know what did that? The persuasiveness of your pastor. No. Some emotional plea. No. The eternal word of God that speaks truth, that is truth. That says, quite simply, 
We are sinners separated from God in need of a Savior, and that Savior is only Jesus. That's it. That's it. And because of his sacrifice, we can know him, we can know God, we can be forgiven of our sins. If we will receive his word willingly, that's it. We receive his word. It's a, there's, there's not this, this, this immediate rejection. There's not this, oh, I'm so excited, and then we fall away, and not this half-hearted devotion trying to love the world and love the word and, and try to pair them up so that they'll both make sense and get along with each other and hold hands. No. Just the simple word of God. Have you received it? Have you received the gospel? Has there been a fruitful reception of the gospel in your life? Are, are, you, are you, maybe you are a follower of Christ. Are, are, you, are you at 30 fold and God says, I want you to be at 100 fold. I, I, want, I want you to trust my word in, a, in even a deeper way in a, and understand it in a clearer way. And live by it in such a way that you are so fruitful. Is that what's happening in your life? I pray that it is. Let's pray, Lord God. We come before you. We're thankful for your word. Father, we didn't dream it up. We didn't cook it up. We, didn't, uh, we, we can't explain it away. We ignore it at our own peril. Lord God, your word is utterly and completely dependable. It is a, a perfect guide. It is a clear revelation of who you are and everything we need to know about you in order to live this life, everything we need to know for salvation, everything we need to know here now to live for you is wrapped up and clearly explained in your word. So, Father, may we receive it willingly. May we receive your word gladly. May there be a fruitful reception of your word in our hearts. Not just, not just in the moment we receive Christ as Savior. But, Father, every day when we are in your word, may we receive it and embrace it and love it. May we not try to downplay it. May we not try to ignore it. May we not walk away and forget who we are seeing in that mirror of truth of your word as you hold it up to our lives. But may we say, yes, Lord, change me, transform me to be like Christ. That's, that's the prayer of Jesus. Sanctify them, set them apart, transform them, make them like me, sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. Your word is truth, God. And may we live lives that are completely in line with the truth. Regardless of what we feel, regardless of what the world says, regardless of the thousand other promised easier paths that ultimately lead to destruction. May we live according to your truth. May we be people of the word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.